You're listening to the Script Lab Podcast. I'm Shaney Edwards. If you're a fan of the horror genre, you're likely familiar with the work of Lee Wannell, the Australian writer-producer of the Saw and Insidious franchises. Now he's written and directed the new monster film, The Invisible Man, starring Elizabeth Moss. On today's episode, Lee chats with me about strengthening your horror protagonist by making your antagonist as vicious as possible, keeping your antagonist mysterious to create suspense, and how Elizabeth Moss helped him write less dialogue and less exposition. There is so little exposition in this film proving that less is really more. But first, let's hear a clip. He has figured out a way to be invisible. You know exactly what I'm talking about. He's not dead. I just can't see him. Okay. Now, I agree with you. Adrian was brilliant. But it wasn't because of anything he invented. It was how he got in people's heads. You think about it. He came up with the perfect way to torture you, even in death. Only thing more brilliant then inventing something that makes you invisible is not inventing it, but making you think he did. He's not dead, Tom. Well, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Uh, Thanks for having me. Your new film, In- Invisible Man, it's incredible. Like, oh, thank I, you. I really, really loved it. Tell me how the project came to you. Um, it, it actually didn't come to me. It, obviously, it's an established property. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, a novel with a... a, a a long history, uh, and there's been various iterations of the character. Um, it's a character I'm, I'm very well aware of, of course. And as a horror fan, I have this real respect for the older icons, you know, the forefathers of the genre, if you will. Um, but not something I had a burning desire to make as a movie. Uh, I had just finished making Upgrade. I had a fun experience on that, so I was kind of looking to get into a more sci-fi space, you know. I got really addicted to production design on Upgrade and just how fun it is to create a world. I've made a lot of films set in houses in these sort of drab domestic settings. And so Upgrade was this real kick in the ass in terms of high design. And I thought, well, the next film I make, I want to do that, but more. Let's spend some more money. And then I went to a general meeting with some of the people from Blumhouse and Universal and they brought up The Invisible Man which was really a non secateur for me. I was like, why are we talking about the invisible man? But I was kind of running with it and someone in the meeting asked, you know, well, what would you do just off the top of your head? You know, what would, what, how would you approach a character like the invisible man? And I was just making something up on the spot. I kind of said, well, you know, I'd probably tell the story from the point of view of his victim, um, you know, make him scary again, you know, and from that conversation came this whole project pretty soon I was signing on to write it and then I was sitting in my home office bashing it out that was genius <laughs> no it well, really it was. seems obvious I mean it 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 may maybe it sounds like I'm saying oh the very first thought that pops into my head is I am the Mozart of screenwriting no. but it's but really to me it seemed obvious that that for this character to be scary once again um, you have to make him mysterious. I think some of these more familiar villains, like the Invisible Man and Dracula, they've become such a fixture in popular culture that they're safe now. Yes. I mean, my daughter watches animated movies with Dracula and the Wolfman, and 
they're like funny characters. I mean, that's how safe they've become. Right. Um, when I think of Frankenstein, I think of the monsters. And so I think to make them unsafe, uh, they need to be mysterious. And the way to do that is to let them hover in the background and be a bit more unknowable rather than centering the entire film around them, build the film around their victims, you know, so the audience can live in fear of them the way the characters live in fear of them. Sure. So you had to create this character of Cecilia. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how that, what informed you about her? Well, it was all, you know, it was all one thing after the other. You know, when when I um, write a film, I, I like to prolong the period of not writing. That's my favorite part of writing is the not writing. Sure. Um, and to me, it's paid procrastination because... I walk around, I take these long walks through Griffith Park. I've got my headphones in, I'm listening to music. I've got my notepad with me. And it's this freewheeling period of throwing every bad idea at the wall. And I'm, I'm sure plenty of screenwriters go through the same process. Um, for me, during that period, I started with a question, which is, you know, who, who is the invisible man victimizing? Who is he chasing after? And the answer to that question after a week or so of thinking about it was, you know, somebody who's escaping a violent relationship. It seemed a natural fit. If, if the villain is, is the invisible man, it makes sense that the victim is a woman, you know, escaping. And I, I, I felt that it would be a way to exploit the terror of this guy, someone that can't be seen, you know, um, it's a great metaphor. Yeah, the, the metaphor of, of gaslighting and and the unseen enemy. You know, in, in, in writing the film, I kind of interviewed female friends of mine, which is a weird situation to call up a friend of mine and do this formal interview or ask them questions about their life. It's your job? Yeah, exactly. But it was it was strange. I, I, I've interviewed a lot of people as a screenwriter, but it's usually a total stranger. You know, it's, right. it's a brain surgeon or a a scientist or a homicide detective, but to be talking to actual people I knew very well, there was something kind of goofy about it. But I was asking them questions about, I guess, life as a female, the, 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 the feeling of unsafety. They all talked about that feeling of walking back to their car with their keys between their fingers, like living, living in a permanent fight or flight state of self-defense. It was kind of sobering and shocking to me as a man to hear that, you know, I guess it's something that you, you think you know, but it's not until you hear it from people you know and love that you're like, wow, is, this is something that a lot of women, if not all women, live with at all times. And so I really started to feel the film creeping towards that. Like I was like, well, this is a great metaphor for that feeling of unsafety. You know, when you're walking back to your car with your keys between your fingers, it's the unseen villain that you're worried about. It's the it's it's the footsteps that you can hear but you can't see the person, and that's the invisible man. You know, and horror films are, have always been great literalizations of societal monsters that we're dealing with. Very yeah. much. Yeah, you know, you take. Um, paranoia about a communist invasion and you turn it into invasion of the body snatchers. Yes. You know, so. With Invisible Man, I started to see those parallels with like uh, 
women fearing men and what they were capable of or where they where they were trying to be heard trying to be believed so yeah the 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 film kind of wanted to go in that direction so what was it like writing your villain adrian right yeah adrian um it was i mean it was it's it was it was good villains are fun to write you know um I definitely wanted to make him charming, you know. I, 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 I wanted him to be almost self-effacing, uh, disarmingly charming, you know. I, I, I didn't want any mustache twirling, you know. Um, Oliver Jackson Cohen, who who plays Adrian, we had a lot of conversations about sociopaths and narcissists, and the thing is, in real life, that they're hard to spot because they're so charming and so friendly. Um, it's, it's, you know, people don't play that in their real life. They don't play up their own narcissism. It's like this hidden thing. And, um, in doing a lot of reading about it, you discover that. So, um, I had Oliver go off and research a lot of this stuff. And I think, I think he created a a compelling kind of multi-layered villain. Yeah, I think a lot of first-time writers maybe don't want to. Um, they really like their protagonist, so mm-hmm, they don't. Right. They don't necessarily like their antagonist, but he's got to be there, so they don't really build him up so much. Right. But you don't seem to have a problem with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in in horror, the antagonist is often the star. Yes. So uh, the the equation is inverted, oftentimes. You know, um, certainly on the, in the horror films I grew up on, the movie star was the killer and the supporting cast of so-called heroes were just these faceless, underwritten, you know, nobodies that were there. They were there either there to be, you know, cannon fodder or they were there to have some sort of victory. But um, I'm used to that, you know. So for me, the fun was in... Um, showing less. I, I didn't want to know much about the antagonist in this film. I wanted to know very little, have it be this mysterious force. Sure. Well, I rewatched Saw last night, <laughs> and I had forgotten the female character that's in that sort of scold mm-hmm. bridal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's the only one that has the guts to really yeah, yeah. fulfill what she's asked to do, yeah. for better or worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, of course, we have Cecilia in this movie, mm-hmm. who is, a, is on a, obviously a different trajectory. But I felt like, as a writer, you either must really love women, or you're really good at writing <laughs> women. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I do, I do find women to be really interesting characters to write. I mean, um, the toughest '80s action hero to me is Ripley. You know, yes. in, an image of her just laying waste to these monsters so uh, you know far from saying like oh yes i'm this uh, total pioneer who has complete empathy for women and i want to empower <laughs> them i would say that i'm just following the lead of my forebears who have like written these strong female leads it just feels interesting to write them and um in a world that's dark and dour i, I feel like it's always interesting to have a, a strong woman a strong female character cut through all that that kind of darkness well, it's great to talk about this, but let's talk about um, Cecilia. Played so beautifully 
by mm. Elizabeth Moss. I mean, sh- you are right there with her every second. Mm. And there were times when, I mean, just her vulnerability is, she's mm. so expressive with it. And yeah. there were times when I started to doubt her, um, right, yeah. you know, and like, oh my God, are we going to find out yeah. that this isn't real? <laughs> right. but, but I related to that personally, right. uh, probably a little bit differently. I remember one time I was sort of dealing with the death and the family and right, I just right. was barely holding on. And I went into the bathroom one morning and I heard this like scraping, grinding noise. And I thought of that scene in um, Polanski's Repulsion and the right, walls are closing right. in. And I'm like, okay, I'm really losing my mind <laughs> right. now. Turns wow. out it was just raccoons under the Oh, yeah, yeah. I, by the way... I've had the same moment where you are sure that a raccoon is actually a, some sort of maniac that's breaking into the house. <laughs> My point is just that vulnerability can play tricks on your mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted that in the film. The real trick of this movie was, can I get an audience to buy a ticket for a movie titled The Invisible Man and still think that she's losing her mind? Like, I want that to be up in the air and, you know... Um, Elizabeth is just a phenomenal actress. I mean, she she has this tendency to play these roles where she is being forced to be quiet or to not say what she really wants to say. It's this recurring thing that she does where she what she's saying isn't important. It's what her eyes are saying. Um, and I knew that would be perfect for this film because, you know, she has to transmit so much about her relationship in her past without a lot of dialogue. I didn't want, want to write a lot of dialogue, a lot of exposition where she would be rattling off the reasons why she's scared. She had to do, do it all with her face and her eyes, and she's the perfect actor for that. For sure. Um, but as a writer, that's a really good instinct, right? I think less exposition is more. I mean, we don't really even learn what... Um, Adrian's business is about. We hear he's yeah, into yeah. optics, but it's left as a mystery on purpose, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, certainly working with Elizabeth was a lesson in writing less because she would often say, like, see this dialogue, this this paragraph that you love? I don't need it. Like, I can say it all with a look, uh, which is initially painful. I'm like, oh, it's been all night coming up with that paragraph. But um, then she would prove that she could do it. You know, she would she would express this stuff with just a look. So... After the film, I realized, I felt like I had learned a lot about doing less and writing less. Mm. You know, it's it's trust, really. Audience trust. Initially, I guess for me, writing a film, there's this need and, and this desire to make sure everyone understands. Everyone needs to understand. Clarity is key here. And I think that comes from notes a lot. A lot of the notes... See, the thing is, a screenplay and a film are two different things, as you know. So... A screenplay will get a lot of notes about something that wouldn't get a note at all in a movie. That because, is such a good point. Yeah, so much information is being transmitted in a movie. You can't do that on paper. They're essentially giving you notes about a novel or a play. And so you get these things like, well, I think this needs to be explained or what's being said here. And so you override and you, you write to these notes and you explain everything. And then you get to the set and you realize none of it's necessary because one look from an actor like Elizabeth Moss, or even a piece of production design. A, a shirt can tell you more about a character than a, a, a soliloquy of exposition can. You know, um, you know, I learn more about Morgan Freeman's character in the opening scene of Seven 
just watching him do the dishes than I can listening to, you know, his fellow detectives talk about him in a really obvious expositional way. Like, ah, yeah, McGavin, he was the best of them until he lost his kid. Then he went down a rabbit hole of alcoholism. Boy, I've never seen anybody hit rock bottom like that. But now he's back. Best detective we have. I mean, that would just be terrible, right? right. <laughs> like, I, I, don't need to, I don't need to hear that. I can just see it when he moves. And so, you know, working with Elizabeth was a lesson for that because she, she just makes dialogue unnecessary. Well done. <laughs> you know, it's, she's so good. She just gets better and better. Mm. Uh, and I like that she's taking a risk in doing this yeah, um, yeah. genre movie. Can we talk about um, crafting a scare and building suspense? Mm -hmm. Are those the same thing or two different things? Two different things. I mean, as if you're talking about a scare in that visceral adrenaline spike way, then yeah, there's a very specific thing for me. I mean, I've made a lot of films that had uh, so-called jump scares in them before, but I think there's a real art to it. And, and I think they've been diluted by a lot of films trying them out in a very ad hoc way. You know, um, what I like to do is, is make them count when they happen and hit the audience in the face. In terms of building suspense, that's a much more abstract art form, mm -hmm. you know. Um, suspense is patience, and it's weaponizing the audience's knowledge of film against them. You know, when I point a camera down an empty hallway in this movie, I know that the audience uh, will be suspicious of that empty corridor because they know that the camera doesn't do anything unless there's a reason. You know, we're not just going to look down the hallway for fun, especially if we're watching a movie called The Invisible Man. So I, I can I can actually turn that, you know, cinema literate modern audience uh, into my victims if I do my job right by by using the camera. You know, mm -hmm. so it's it's but you still never know what's going to work. You know, I'm not sitting there going, ah, I found the formula. It's all still guesswork and, and it goes through this long process. You know, you watch a movie in real time, but you make a movie in slow motion. It takes years and it's, it seems like every micro decision is important, you know, um, but it all adds up to this like 24 frames a second roller coaster ride. Sure. Um, I think you are a master at torturing your protagonist. <laughs> and at uh, again, it's something a lot of first-time screenwriters have a hard time with. Right. How did you instinctually know to really, you know, rake her across the coals? <laughs> well, I just felt that I wanted this character to get put through the ringer. You know, you, your, your, your protagonist is only as strong as the antagonist is vicious. And I remember this screenwriting adage, you know, put you... Put your hero up a tree and throw rocks at them. I don't know who said it, but uh, but um, you know you, you, that's what you want to do, especially with a movie like this, where the whole point of it is that she's being terrorized. You you don't want the terror to be flippant or or um, you know lightweight. You know you need it to be just shattering. You know um, every. I wanted every step of the way for the audience to be like, how much worse could this get? And then in the next scene, oh, so much worse. <laughs> and just push them and torture them. And, and then, of course, you know, the, the more suffering a character has gone through, the more cathartic a victory is, right? So, right. Um, you know, you, all you can do is um, drag your, your hero 
or your central character through the mud and, and hope that it resonates with someone? Sometimes on horror movies, um, funny, mysterious, strange things happen. Did anything like that happen on set? Hmm. I'm trying to think if there was anything kind of mysterious. You know, the, the way we shot this film was... I wanted to do things that were counterintuitive. I've done a lot of horror movies and I don't want to repeat myself. You know, if I'm going to go back to the well of horror, I need to feel like I'm doing something different. Of course. Um, you know, I, I read a Scorsese quote recently where he said, you know, I, I didn't want to go back to this world of gangsters unless I had something new to say, you know, with the Irishman. And so um, I am not comparing myself to Scorsese <laughs> listeners. That is a little, um, just a little addition I want to add there. Um but for me, I felt the same way about horror. Like, okay, if I'm going back to this well, what, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And so I tried to be counterintuitive. So one example of that is, you know, I've turned the lights off in so many films. They're always dark horror films. So with this one, I wanted it to be lit, well lit. I said to the cinematographer, I want to turn the lights on in this movie. And that was just one of the ways to be counterintuitive. You know, all, all of that stuff... Um, Throughout the movie, um, anything that felt like I hadn't done it before in horror films, I wanted to run towards that mm. and do all that. So that yeah, that's how it all comes about. I wish you the best of luck with this movie. It's so good. Everybody, please go see it, especially yes. if this is your genre. And not just gonna... once either. You could probably see it 10 or 11 times. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, in a row. In a row. <laughs> Stay in the theater all day. Well, you have to keep going back out and paying. You know, you have to do that. But, but other than that, you're going to have a great time. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers.